Hello and welcome to another episode of the Nothing New Under the Sun podcast. I'm Dane Fuller. Once again, I'm joined by Gareth Tyndall as we try to connect the dots between the modern world and the Bible. Hello, Gareth. How how are you enjoying our little chats? Hi, Dane. Yes, I've loved them. Uh, Any opportunity to talk about Jesus and to share what he's done for us and how he shows us how to live is it's an opportunity I'll always take up. Um, That's why I'm in this chaplaincy gig and that's why I've loved doing this with you. Yeah. Yeah, look, I'm certainly finding them stimulating. Uh, I'm I'm really enjoying the research um, and finding both those direct and obvious connections, but also some of those tangents and the and the deeper insights you've been able to provide me uh, and the listeners out there who are who are along for the journey. Yeah, and I, I hope I've been helpful, but I think I think it's fair to say that it, it, Dane, it's it's your zeal for understanding Jesus's perennial wisdom that's made these conversations exciting for me. Uh, the contemporary connections. That you're finding and that I'm finding, they continue to interest me uh, every day. Yeah, and I think it's good that I, I, I do like that juxtaposition of you know me asking questions and you kind of giving me answers, but which probably stimulates you then again. So it's a it's really fun. Mm. I'm enjoying mm. it. Okay, let's move on to our discussion for the show. Um, there's no doubt we live in an era of individualism, maybe to the point of narcissism when it comes to the look at me nature of social media. With duck faces and selfies and the <laughs> constant need for attention and approval. Uh, at the same time, you know, we encourage people to be themselves, seek authentic- authenticity in their lives, not simply being a sheep or a slave to peer pressure, but acting with free will and self-driven purpose. Now, going back to the Old Testament, which I like to do first, um, and Genesis in particular, very early on we're introduced to this idea that people are made in God's image, and therefore each individual has a touch of the divine. Yeah, very much so. That touch of the divine idea is uh, evident from the get-go. The description of the creation of the man and the woman at Eden, it really is pivotal for understanding uh, the basics of a Christian anthropology, you know, essentially what it is to be uh, be human. Uh, And that derives from the relationship that the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit share um, as the Trinity. Now, that's a topic for several other podcast episodes, but uh, just as it's recorded in in Genesis 1 that God the Father says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, uh, it's evident from the get-go that there's this relational nature between the Father and and the Son. Uh, That's the us and the our of that verse. You know, we're told in places like the opening to John's Gospel in John 1 and Paul's letter to the church at Colossae in chapter 1 there, he says that the the Father uh, created with and through the Son. Um, So there's a unique relationship there, uh, and there's a unique relationship in bearing the the image of God, uh, as it's come to be known, Um, a relationship that's expressed in that next verse where it's recorded that God created man in his own image. Uh, He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. So that verse kind of just explains very quickly that The image of God uh, is expressed vertically in that God creates humanity to bear his image, uh, but also horizontally in that both men and women, and particularly as they exist in relationship to one another, uh, should reflect God's image to the world as well. Uh, And so similarly, you know, when the account of the man's creation is told to us again in Genesis 2, which is like, you know, kind of from a different camera angle, um, the father forms the man from the dust, 
and he breathes the breath of life into him. Uh, and when you when you tinker under the hood of the of the Hebrew of that verse, we, we find out that that breath or ruach, as it's said in the Hebrew, uh, that can also mean spirit. So the relational nature of God, where the Father and the Spirit part together uh, and bringing life to humanity, is also made clear to us. That's probably a theme we see a lot in those early um, early verses of Genesis that something is said really simply, but it means so much. And, and, and from the, as you said, from the get-go, this idea of the Trinity was there, even though we're really only talking about God the Creator in those, in those verses. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, we recently did a little workshop at school here with some students um, where we kind of got them to embarrass themselves, uh, mm-hmm. acting and singing in, in front of a small group, um, stepping outside their comfort zone and, and using a concept of, of Tim Urban's, which he calls the social survival mammoth. Uh, which is a, a big dumb animal living inside their brains, which mm-hmm. makes them conform to their social social pressures. And you know, we can probably all relate to that from when we were teenagers, uh, or even now with that pressure to consume and have the best things, mm-hmm. comparing ourselves to others, not listening to that voice of authenticity inside us, not accepting yourself for who you are. Um, God does instruct us to dispense with this. Or oh, sorry, does he? Does he? instruct us to dispense with this keeping up with the Joneses syndrome when he tells Moses in Exodus that you know, I am who I am. Yeah, right. That verse is very important too. Yeah, and I think I think it's fair to say that um, that God does have a fairly healthy sense of his own self-esteem. You know, um, as he should. Yeah, yeah. He's not really lacking in anything, uh, and, and that's that's actually bound up in, in part of the meaning behind that particular description that God gives himself in Exodus 3, where he says, I am who I am. Uh, it's a really cryptic kind of phrase. Uh, and, and God is he's revealing his name to, uh, to Moses. Uh, this is well before Moses' Moses's famous uh, plagues and parting the Red Sea, all before that. It's at the, at the burning bush. Uh, and God's revealing his name to Moses when Moses is seeking a little bit of guidance from God about how he's going to prove to the powers that be that it was God that has really spoken to him. Uh, and so when God says, I am who I am, which you know kind of sounds like that weird syntax that Yoda uses in uh, the way he speaks, uh, God is revealing his authenticity to Moses. Um, who am I? God is asking. Well, I am to be. You know, I am existence. I am presence. I am here. Uh, it's a really comprehensive and you know, very varied and multi-layered kind of statement. Yet it's like many things he says. It's so precise uh, and simple. Uh, and so to return to your question, you know, should it produce? Should that statement produce self-acceptance amongst us? Well, uh, God is so comfortable with just being who He is. Um, ancient Israel, however, didn't certainly didn't think that they could have a healthy self-acceptance in light of that verse. In fact, uh, the repetition of the verb to be in the Hebrew, it looks something like uh, Y-H-W-H uh, in Hebrew consonants. So, and it's from that word that we get the word Yahweh to describe the personal name of God. But in fact, throughout much of Jewish Jewish history, and even today, that term uh, is not, yet, not even said aloud in worship by Jewish people or when reading the scriptures aloud. So when they come along to a verse like that that has that word, uh, Yahweh, or Lord in capital letters in our Bibles, uh, Jewish worp- worshippers will often sub in a Hebrew phrase for the name. So, you know, it's, a, that's, it's so revered 
um, and seen as something that's not worthy to be uttered by humans. So the, the I am who I am name of God, especially for Israel and for us too, it shouldn't produce self-acceptance uh, when we put it into the context of comparing ourselves to God. You know, His name reflects that He's the grounds of all that exists in the world and we only exist because He brought us into existence. Okay. Um, surely there, there, there's got to be some type of meaning in the fact that God revealed His name to Moses. You know, God was reaching out to us. And yes, you know, Moses was asking for guidance, but mm. you know, God took that step. You know, He approached Moses in the first place anyway, not the other way around. Um, so our acceptance of ourselves as, as individuals with strengths and weakness is expected then, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, that he reached out to us, gave us his spirit, and therefore we should have that self-acceptance as a, you know, in terms of our faith in God. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, as, as, as holy, you know, or as, as other, as set apart as God's name is, it's still a, a personal name. You know, it's still his name for the God of the universe. And it's really important, as you said there, that it is God who was seeking us out in that moment. You know, God longs for us. He's described elsewhere in the Bible as being like a jealous God. He longs to be with his people and to have them for himself. Um, He wants to know us in relationship. So the revealing of God's name in the wilderness, yeah, it was an intimate call to come into the accepting presence of God. Now, a lot more has to take place in the, the whole sweep of the biblical story uh, for that acceptance to be completed. But there is a definite invitation to come as you are to God, for you only are, uh, because he is, uh, I think. Yeah, okay. Now, let's move along a little bit here to some kind of self-help, <laughs> which is a, a popular kind of publishing um, category these days. Now, mm, mm. Uh, Stephen Covey probably wrote one of the most successful self, self-help books of all time in 1989 called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. which many people would have heard of um, and there's been probably lots of knockoffs, and and it was probably that modern um, start of this you know, this self, self-help movement. Mm. Um, and behind Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People from the 1930s, I think that was, it's probably in the top two most influential self-help books ever written, mm. um, or number three if we include the Bible, which I suppose we is the point of these podcasts. We would include the Bible, yes. Now, Kobe has a chapter um, which he calls Win-Win Situations, which I think is instructive in, in getting people to not only recognise that they are individuals with needs and wants, but that everyone else is a unique individual with needs and wants, although very different to our own and you know the the concept in this chapter is if you can work out a situation which kind of helps you um while also helping other people and realizing that you know they're special they have their own needs they've got their own context for their life Mm. that that's a good way Mm. to to manage your life not trying to make it you win and other people lose Mm -hmm. um how does that kind of fit in with with what we're talking about in terms of individual divinity and um, the specialness of, of everyone. Yeah, well, I think similar to the way we've talked about already the idea of the image of God um, and the idea that the image of God is best expressed in in relationships uh, where humans are caring for one another, um, 
that's something that is borne out very much in the Ten Commandments, which we've talked about already a lot before, but that idea that the, those opening few are all about how we understand who God really is, and the rest are all we understand about how valuable we are in light of the fact that we are made by God, uh, in light of the fact that we do bear the image and mark of God. So there is a, there's a great equalising and, and levelling out that comes from that truth, that every single person is inherently uh, valuable, um, and I think that also something that is um, that's a great leveller uh, is in places like Romans uh, three, where we're also reminded by Paul that in light of the fact that God is that holy God, that there is no one who is right before that God. No one righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. So every single one of us is equal in that respect. And so every single one of us has the same need that needs to be met. Every single one of us needs uh, the kindness and grace of God uh, in order to be accepted. And that's why, you know, Romans 5, where Paul will say, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were still denying that image of God in each other and denying God's rule over us, that's when God in love sought us out. Um, and then when we come to faith in Jesus, that's where we are also reminded again in Romans 8 that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. So our, our acceptance, being accepted, uh, comes because of our identity being bound to Jesus. Uh, and so that means that it's very, it frees you up then to not pursue your own uh, needs and desires and wants because you know, well, I'm, I'm totally accepted in Jesus Christ. I have the love of the Father. Uh, I don't have to strive to gain those things. I've been given those things. And now I'm actually freed up to seek out those who don't know that or seek out those who need help, seek out those who need to see God's love made clear to them uh, without having to worry about my own patch. Yeah. Is that a little bit, and sorry, just thinking on the run here, mm. is there almost a paradox in that in terms of, you know, God wants this relationship with him and, and, and that closeness through Jesus and, and you know, being having our sins taken care of from mm. Jesus. But also, when we say there's a, a bit of the divineness, it shows how far away we actually are from God's perfection. Um, and that, you know, we use that phrase sometimes that, you know, something's first and daylight second. Yeah. So if we've got God first, daylight second, and then there's just a bunch of us somewhere else behind, mm. it doesn't matter really where we are in that bunch, we are a, a long, long way away. So we're in the bunch, we're in it together and we, we all you know, have that obligation then. That's exactly right. The, the, the paradox is true in the sense that um, we are all endowed with the image of God and yet we actually, the way sin works in our lives, Romans 1 tells us, is actually in, God gives us over to that because we've desired that rather than seeking to live with the image of God in us. Uh, that we we have and reflecting that we've actually chosen to discard that image and reject it and so God actually gives us over to that because that's what we desire and so we actually seek to invent and create even new ways of further trashing that image uh, of God that's, that's in us and so the thing that the very thing that marks us out as different from the animals and is unique in this universe is the very thing that we reject um, all the time uh, until uh, by the grace of God, um, it, the truth is revealed to us about our identity and the truth uh, of our need uh, for 
redemption uh, is made clear. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, maybe would you like to take a little break now, Gareth, and we'll um we'll come back and maybe look at some human rights and how this kind of individualness um, manifests itself in in our Western civilization. Sounds good. Okay, welcome back to the second half of the show, um, where we've been talking about the divine spirit in us, given to us by God, and how that kind of manifests in how we should act, how we should um, you know form that relationship with God, um, and how we kind of need to be humble in terms of where we sit in the scheme of things. Now, Gareth, this spirit, this divine specialness that we've been speaking of, of um, Jordan Peterson, a Canadian psychologist, he's, uh, he's done a, a biblical lecture series where he says it's the basis of the Western legal system you know, and a building block of, of civilization. this idea that we treat people as individuals rather than as you know groups mm. you know because you know if, if we start to treat people like groups it's easy to easy to demonize a group um of a hundred people than demonize a hundred individuals yes for their own um foibles i suppose yes so his his lecture series posits that individual divinity its recognition in others creates an expectation that all are equal before the law um which I see is, you know, really important. Um, and it also gives life a purpose in that, you know, as individuals, we, we have free will. We have, and we have divine spirit. So there's kind of both of those things have been breathed into us. Um, so the individual, therefore, is not consigned to some deterministic fate, mm-hmm. but must use what they have to live a full life in the service of other, of other divine individuals. Um, and it kind of flips that modern me, me, me idea of I'm special on its head because it's not a way to elevate us above everyone else. It's a way to say, well, we're all standing here together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we, we can see how this is uh, abused, I suppose, in the Pixar film The Incredibles, which is one of my favourites. Um, having young kids, the kind of Pixar movies are quite popular, but it, it, it's a very good one. Now... The, the villain in that syndrome, he has a famous line, which I think he gets completely wrong. His obsession with being super, um, when he's not a superhero, keeps comparing himself to others, but it kind of blinds him to, to maybe his true specialness. And uh, he goes on to say to, to Mr. Incredible, when everyone is special, no one is. And he kind of uses that as a, a justification to pull down the good and make them not as special. But... When reality, sorry, in reality, when everyone is special, no one can ignore the inherent specialness of his neighbour or a stranger, or the poor, the sick, the outcast, even an enemy. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and going back to that legal system thing, I suppose the fact that we we let people who have been accused of things at least get to put forward their side of, trial. of the story and mm-hmm. their trial. So how does that, you know, and that's kind of flipped all over the place. We've gone from um, a psychology professor to a syndrome. So <laughs> <laughs> how do we work that into our conversation? Well, I think, yeah, the, touching on that with syndrome first, I think he, he you can t- you see how he do- why he would say that. When everyone is special, no one is. Uh, the idea that it, what plays out is that... Um, People don't see any distinctive 
for distinguishing worth in anyone else because everyone it, it actually creates a selfishness i think where you say well i'm just as special as you and so i'm just as important as you and so i can seek my own good uh and yet you know what we talked about last time we were together that is completely the inverse of uh the love your neighbor as yourself idea uh, because the love your neighbor as yourself idea says yes i am so very valuable because i am uh, made in the image of god and so therefore that means that i should want uh, the same level of care and provision um, and uh, treatment for others because they are also like me, they're my neighbour. Um, and so, you know, Syndrome has got it wrong there. And I, I think the interesting thing about, about these Disney films, though, is that they often do focus on that idea of um, evils overcome when people realise the good in them, when they can just find and discover the good in them that helps them overcome whatever deterministic flaw has been there for the time being that's hindered them. Um, and yet it's very clear to us that uh, in in Genesis 1, Adam and Eve don't work out that they're made in the image of God. It's something that is pronounced and bestowed upon them. They are told. They don't have to, by some kind of um, observation from nat- natural law, uh, work out that they're divine. They're told they are divine. Uh, and that's that's why I think the, the Christian worldview about humanity uh, Runs so countercultural to how the world has pretty much run for a long, long, long time. Um, you know, it recently in uh, the for love for the love of God documentary series, there's a great section on the development of the idea of human rights that Jordan Peterson touches on. Uh, and he, uh, in that documentary, they kind of argue that during the Greco-Roman period and in many other phases and stages of particularly Western history, um, the idea that everyone was equal in the eyes of God or before the law was not there. Um, you only had rights or human rights um, if you had power. And that power was there because by natural law, you were worthy of it. You were endowed with it, you were born with it, therefore you had human rights. So the idea that slaves or the poor um, or the peasant classes had human rights uh, was fundamentally um, wrong in, in Greco-Roman thought. And so when Jesus comes on the scene um, and recasts the Ten Commandments right down to that radical sense of um, you know, turning the other cheek for your enemy, loving your enemy, uh, that is um, so countercultural to the Greco-Roman world, uh, and it is what was at the heart of um, the laws that eventually were, you know, 1948, that are written down in um, the United Nations Declaration of Universal Human Rights. You know, those phrases are not don't derive from the great Greco-Roman thinkers, they derive from the way that Christianity shaped our view of uh, humanity. Is there a little bit of a, a collective unconsciousness then when you, you spoke about the of Adam and Eve being told that they were made in, in God's image, whereas now, you know, we kind of have that idea that you have to find it within yourself and yet there's a light bulb moment and people go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. that can kind of change our, our behaviour. Is that, is that being lost as we've moved towards, I don't know, as, as civilization gets bigger, as society gets bigger, we, we tend to look at people as, as how they can help us from a transactional point of view. And I know we spoke about this a little bit at, at, at school here, that, mm. that idea of the difference between a transactional and a transformational um, relationship. And, um, and we do look at people as, okay, I can help you and you can help me. 
and it's what you get from them. It's very superficial. It's very the here and now rather than seeing that. Okay, well, can I transform this person's life? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I remember too, and you might not remember this, a long, long time ago, maybe a comment on Facebook about Thomas the Tank Engine um, where someone had made a comment that it shows power differentials because, you know, the mm. coal trucks get treated ordinary. And, and I put some comment, probably a, a smart other one because it's my want on, on Facebook. And, I made and, a reply, I think. And you made a, a very um, profound reply because of the fact that I can remember it. Uh, and it would have been eight or nine years ago. Right, and, now, yeah. and you said, we need to recognise that the, the coal trucks, yeah, they're grumpy and whatever, but if they are, you know, they're anthropomorphic or you know, mm-hmm. they've given some human qualities, mm. they have to be respected because they are, mm. not because of what they can do. And, and which, you know, it put me back in my box a little bit, um, but certainly something I can remember even now. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, that the one the thing that I find interesting about the Thomas the Tank Engine series is that it does just espouse that utilitarian ethic that um you know you are a very useful engine Thomas your only your value is only seen in what you can do not in your existence uh, and your presence um you know it's a strange kind of uh, philosophy for a series that was originally developed by an Anglican minister um you know who I would hope has an understanding of um the nature of humanity um that our usefulness before God is is nothing. Uh, it, it, it's the value or worth that is endowed to us by God uh, that makes us really valuable and and to be celebrated. Um, yeah, so I think that's right. I think that the um, that idea of the, you, know, you talk about transactional relationships, we have you know we've reduced um, a lot of our human relationships down to that. Uh, partly because you know we have commodified everything uh, as a as a species. Uh, but also partly too, like you said, the idea that we can't work out for ourselves um, the value of humanity, but we think we can. Um, we continue to make uh, advancements in you know, clinical psychology and neurosurgery and these kinds of uh, things that help us to see the medical and clinical and observable and empirical connections between the emotions we experience and how they manifest physically. And so we do kind of think, okay, I can see how why that person spoke harshly to that person is because of a chemical reaction here at this point in their brain. So we do kind of reduce humanity down to levels of, uh, of chemicals um, and you know, pheromones and, and those sorts of things. Uh, and I think that that really downplays the wondrous creativeness of humanity that we we yes we have we are a species that um, is part of this universe and part of the natural order of things and yet that order was something that was established uh, by God and not something that just appears uh, out of nowhere with no with no purpose just merely to be observed there is a purpose to it which I think we often we don't realize until it's revealed to us okay so on that revelation Gareth, and, and you know, we you know, science seeks to re- to reveal, and not downplaying science because you know it's um, that empirical evidence is very very good, mm. but it seems to me that there's science is very good at looking at the what, um, and even maybe the how things work, but at each level of of revelation, you know, we talk about the chemicals operating in the brain, and you know, if physicists can get down to you know particles within atoms, and, and mm. we're very good at the mm. what. 
and the, the how they interact and, and how they work. But but there's still that fundamental question of why? Why are they like that? Yes. Um, which probably is outside the realm of science almost. That's right. I, I think that, you know, the advances that we, we do make in science and understanding humans and how they tick, um, we shouldn't be making the connection that just because I observe chemical changes or I observe that, that that is the reason as to why those things occur. Um, you know, humans or Christians, uh, when we think about us being formed out of this earth uh, and being endowed with the image of God, but then chucking that away in sin uh, and the curses that God lists in Genesis 3 that speak of the fact that not only are we uh, sinful and disordered, but that as part of the natural world, that whole that, that nature is disordered. And so we should expect to see in human beings uh, tangible, physical, observable evidence of their sinfulness playing out uh, in, in humanity. And so um, we don't want to then just use more and more knowledge of how the human body works and how uh, the universe works to say this is just more and more evidence for God's lack of involvement, um, but it's just us seeing more and more the wondrous intricacy that God had already established. Um, and we, uh, underst- we can understand and know more and more of the what, um, but as you said, it's not until um, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts and minds uh, that God's special revelation of his purpose and our understanding of what it means to be a human and where the goal is going for humanity uh, in that there will be a time when Jesus will return uh, to restore and make all things new. Not to make all new things, but to make all things new. And so to restore um, the way that sin has just radically shattered that image in us and how the created order has fallen and suffered as a result of that too. All right. So, yeah, it's that um, dichotomy between chaos and order. Science reveals why the chaos is there, um, but at the end of the day, any solution to that chaos is going to come in terms of human responses to it, Hmm. and the best human responses seem to be found in the Bible, in looking at that individual specialness of everyone and um, trying to transform Mm -hmm. rather than transact. That's right. That's right. Okay, well... We might leave it there. That's been a, a, a very diverse conversation, um, all the way down to atomic level watts and hows of science and physics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to the distance between ourselves and God in heaven. And don't um, forget the Incredibles too. And the Incredibles, yes, yes. Again, one of my favourites. Um, so thanks for joining me again, Gareth. Um, hope everyone enjoyed the, this edition of the podcast. We've probably got about three more left, I think, in this first, what we'll call our first season. Um, So thanks, Gareth. Enjoying your company. Thanks, Dane. See you later. Bye.